All right. <clears throat> um, what are we talking about today, Jeff? We're talking about componentization. I wouldn't come talk to the components podcast without talking about components. Full frontal, deep discussion of componentry. What component of components are we talking about? Oh, I'm so glad you asked, Patrick. You know, there's this thing um, that I learned um, on a project. I was uh, doing some enterprise information architecture work. And I had to very quickly learn about the whole field of master data management. And there is a term that those information professionals use called entity resolution, which at the time was just basically like, how detailed do you want to be in capturing data? And, and, and what attributes will you use to dis- describe this data? And in my day-to-day, most of the clients, peers, and professionals I work with are doing some kind of work related to componentizing content. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the biggest decisions revolve around that entity resolution question of how detailed should we be, could we be, can we be, without breaking our, our business, our processes, and, and, and you know, figuring out how we're going to do all the good things we want to do once we've componentized a meaningful amount of our content. So I, I constantly think about componentry through the lens of componentizing, you know, if that makes sense. So I'm not thinking about the shipping container. I'm thinking about how you get people to rally around the decision of the shipping container is going to contain these things. Um, and not those things, because that's too hard for you to do right now, uh, given your digital maturity, for example. I like where this is going. <laughs> um, so that's very interesting. I've never heard that particular like concept as it relates to componentizing content. But I, th- I think it's very similar to a lot of the other things that we we talk about. Mm-hmm. It's a really interesting view on it, which fits really well with components, because one of the things we love doing is talking about the same thing from a different, slightly different perspective. Um, so, okay. So entity data resolution. Sorry, am I getting that right? Uh, just entity resolution. Entity resolution. Entity resolution. So your definition of entity resolution is how detailed probably the metadata is for something, or would you say it goes deeper than that? I would say more or less, yes. Now, let's say you have a component, right? Yep. And the component, you know, back in the, in the bad old days, when there was shovelware and brochureware, people just slapped yeah. things onto pages and gave no care of patterns. Then, you know, people started to create templates. Now we live in a time of relative maturity when it comes to atomic design. So people think of, you know, templates that sit in pages and organisms or molecules that sit in templates, right? And so as many, you know, folks have, you know, implored uh, organizations, you need to componentize the content in order to flexibly express it. However, when you get into that component level, there's no roadmap that says you must have this amount of detail for the component to be useful, uh, compelling, um, sustainable as as a sort of vehicle for your content. And even if you said, we're designing a card that's going to have profile information in it, how many attributes do you need for a profile? What's meaningful? It's always going to vary. And so for me, entity resolution is the 
the question of what are the minimum or what are the, the most valuable attributes that sit within that shipping container or in that component um, that will give it life and expressivity as we create these great experiences for customers and for for business benefit. I think that's really interesting. And actually, it's it's kind of funny because I had a conversation yesterday that, that glanced across this in a, in a slightly different way. The I think that there's this constant push and pull between wanting to have a really high level of resolution or really like like strong metadata because it opens up possibilities and it can potentially improve experiences. But every time you add more metadata or you increase the resolution, you also add overhead. You add overhead both from like a change management or training perspective um, and from a technical perspective. And then I think that the thing that people don't recognize is that when you have metadata, you have to communicate how that debt metadata is used because it's almost worse having bad metadata than having no metadata. Absolutely. If you have like an attribute on something like, I'm not sure I love the shipping container um, analogy in this one, although I use, because I can't picture like metadata in or on or around the shipping container. Like maybe it's graffiti, the metadata is the graffiti in the shipping container. Um, but anyway, so when you have, you have an attribute and you assign it to, you know, your, you know, your type, Mm-hmm. Um, if people go in and they fill that in incorrectly, you have data, but it's bad data. And the overhead is immediate overhead, and it's also lasting future overhead and overhead right. that can even grow. So if you've got an organization that can't maintain the vocabularies and data dictionaries it has right now, like if its taxonomies are already in a state of disrepair, bringing metadata into the picture beyond what's absolutely necessary could be a recipe for disaster. So you have to figure out what can we bring along um, that that the business can sustain or the organization can sort of control for um, that's going to give them a good level of componentization, but not too much. And, you know, I sometimes talk in the bumper sticker of just enough taxonomy. Because, yep. you know, information management professionals will take you da- down that rabbit hole. And um, you have to be able, at some level, you have to be able to figure out, well, what is going to be digestible for us to support and what's going to be sustainable versus, well, that's nice that we could do this, but could we possibly consider doing this in all the markets that we play in? Could we do this for all the user segments we've got, you know, and, and so on. So you have to really balance out the art of the possible um, from the art of the fantastical, which sometimes attracts more eyes and ears. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think like what's possible is all a matter of like, how possible is it to communicate and convince people to do it? Um, you know, really, I think in a lot of ways, it really comes down to training at the end of the day. Yep. So, um, taxonomy and advanced metadata tools are almost exclusively complicated. Like there's no such thing as like, I mean, it's, it's, it's complicated stuff, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. um, so there's no such thing as like simple taxonomy tools if they're like really being done well, especially as it relates to content. I mean, there are simpler than others, like for sure, but like, there's nothing, there's nothing that you're never going to get to a place where it's going to be perfectly intuitive unless you're doing very, very simple things like how tall is somebody, mm-hmm. things that relate to real world things people understand, you know, mm-hmm. intuitively. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I think that the concept that 
the concept of like how much is really a function of your ability to communicate it and train on it. Yeah. I, I also think that there is another element, a late sort of latent element, which is we're all digital consumers and end users ourselves of other products and services. And so there's a kind of late, uh, a latent literacy that we've got, you know, just as we all know yeah. how to use filters and different kinds of UI conventions. Um, and it's why I call myself a personalization optimist is I actually think that there is a long arc that is bending towards more sophistication and more sort of essential com- components, if you were, will, of how you do good automation or good personalization, good customization. But, you know, we need more practitioners doing more of that valuable work to sort of refine the practices and, and talk about them. Um, and it's why I say IA before AI to get another one of my bumper sticker slogans out of the way early here is people need to recognize that there are some durable parameters that you can set up. And, and this goes for components. Very, very, there's a straight line of this to components um, where you can say like, we want the components to have this kind of flexibility so that they can sit on any of these kinds of screens at any point in the customer journey but we need to define what are those states of the customer journey? What are those users that, you know, and, and, and control those values. Um, and I think that there is, because of all of the great tooling out there now, there is this amazing period of catch up where people are, are just going through their transformation projects and trying to think like, okay, well, there's all this IA stuff to do. And it didn't say that on the back of the box, you know? Um, and so we're living through a really interesting period. So I think there's something in there that, um, that you said that I want to add to in that you were talking about the ability for it to show up on any screen, the, the component, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think the, the thing that's more compelling to me today is the ability for the component to decide to show up someplace. So, you know, the original purpose of structured content was what you was the thing you just said, right. It was the ability for it to show up on a little screen, on a bigger screen, on a kiosk screen, in a print, you know, like wherever it was going to go. It was really the, the omni-channel aspect of it. But if I think about like where this stuff is going, it's the fact that when things were showing up in all those places, they were still put there by people. Yeah. Like you assembled something and like you published it to whatever your thing was, um, a DXP, well, actually probably in the past, not so much a DXP, a website of some form, whatever your deliverable was. But, and that meant that everybody who was publishing that content had read that content and understood that content and made sure that that content was, a, was appropriate for being in that place. The future, which gets to your IA before AI, is that the people who are designing these experiences are selecting content based on their attributes, based on their metadata, and they can trust the tool chain that leads to that point and they don't have to pre-build experiences so they need something that talks to this type of a user about this type of a thing maybe it's a promotion maybe it's something that's that's helpful maybe it's um, information about a certain thing maybe it's a link to something that goes out someplace else but all they know is that this talks about that and it solves this problem they don't know exactly how and that reduces the overhead for the per- the people who are actually content implementers quite a bit because now what they're doing is they're creating experiences based on attributes and metadata 
rather than having to go into the container and expect and inspect the goods. Yes. Yes. Content rules, but it can be a lot. I'm sure you've noticed that a lot of these topics are connected, but our short podcast episodes barely scratch the surface. Have no fear, because in the description, we have links to videos, blog posts, and other information that help shine some light on some of the more intense, murky topics. In no time, you're going to have a little bit better idea about structured content and enterprise content strategy. Hope you enjoy.